Hey everyone, before you listen to this uh, this sermon, I just wanted you to know that the uh, the sound system was having some issues and so it's kind of choppy. Um, I was going to take it down and then I was advised not to. Uh, so if you can bear, bear through it, um, I'm sure it may be able to be a blessing uh, to you still. Okay, so I hope that it leaves you um, encouraged despite all the sound system issues. All right, have a great one. Speaking to me on something, the Lord's been saying... Zave, God calls me Zave sometimes. He says, Zave, he says, you've been preaching a little hard on him. You've been preaching a little hard on him. You, you know, you guys know me. I, I like to, you know, be able to get down to the root of it. Get down to the root of it and be able to, you know, I'm not in the, I'm not in the business of, of, of cutting off the branches. I want to, I believe the Lord has called me to be able to get to the root of stuff. You know what I'm saying? And be able to help you to do some self-examination, some self-scrutiny so that you can see how you can be the best possible you that you can be for him. But the Lord's been speaking to me um, over the course of the last week, and he says, Xavier, I don't think you've been preaching enough to encourage. And I mean, it's not that I've been not preaching to encourage, but you know, we preach on sin, we talk about how to battle sin, but I want to kind of shift gears a little bit just today. And, uh, and I want to be able to bring an encouragement um, to you. If you're turning over to the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 136, Psalm chapter 136, we'll be bouncing around a lot today. Um, Yesterday, I was, I usually use Saturdays to get ready for my sermons for Sunday, right? I usually use Saturday to, to finish polishing up what I've started during the week, and then I usually will get up early on Wednesdays and knock out my grad school responsibilities, and then after that, I will um, get ready for Wednesday night. And so that's usually how I set it up so I can be fresh off of it. And last night, as I was getting ready, um, I just happened to be scrolling through Twitter, and my friend Emily uh, said something that really, really uh, kind of, sh not shocked me, but uh, really kind of spoke to me. And the Lord said, that's what I want you to preach on tomorrow. Um, she said, one of the things that, that is sad for me about people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior is that they won't be able to experience the amazing grace of God. They won't be able to, they won't be able to experience how good God is. And I said, you know what, Lord, you are good. And, you know, it's one of those things where um, I've been saved a long time. Ow. <laughs> I've been saved a long time, just like many of you have. But when I read that, I, tears just came to my eyes because, you know what? God is good. God is good. And a lot of times it's, it's easy to forget that God is good in the bad times when you're struggling. And it's easy to forget that God is good in the good times because you're doing good. You're not really thinking about it. So sometimes, even though God is good to us, we kind of forget that he's good. What I want to do today is there are a lot of reasons. I mean, we can do a whole series. I may do that later on sometime, but we can do a whole series on why God is good. It would take us, it would take us years, I think, to just do a, do a Sunday morning series every Sunday on why God is good. It would take forever. It would take forever. But today I want to just give you like a little bit of, just as God was speaking to me, I want to give you just eight quick things on, on why God is good. Remember, there's a lot of different reasons why God is good. But I want, I think the Lord put these things on my heart <clears throat> to kind of give you a well-rounded view of who he is and why he operates the way that he does. And I'm hoping that this will not only be able to encourage you and, and speak to you, but also kind of at the same time still be a little bit of an, an admonishment, still give you, keep in mind to not abuse the grace of God and abuse how good God is. And I want these things to kind of speak to you. And so I'm going to look at one verse, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to bounce around a little bit. Sound good, church? All right. Psalm chapter 136, verse 1, it simply says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Let's pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, you are good. You are good, and you're good for a lot of reasons. Some of these reasons may not be reasons that people really think about for why you're good. And so, I, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to the church the way that you spoke to me last night, God. And we'll give you all the honor and glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray and we're thankful. Amen. Amen. Ain't God good, church? Someone finish this statement for me. God is good? And all the time? That's it. That's it. But we're going to look at some reasons why God is good. And they may not be some of the reasons that you may have thought about. All right? Genesis chapter 2 in your Bibles, if you can. Genesis chapter 2. We're flipping all the way to the beginning. Genesis chapter 2. Why is God good? Why is God good? Genesis chapter 2. And Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17 simply says this. 
it says, uh, we'll back up to verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of, the tr of every tree of the garden thou mayest, uh, thou, mayest, uh, thou mayest freely eat, excuse me, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Flip over to chapter 3. Chapter 3. And look over at verse, um, verse 9. It says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou, art, thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest me, mm, always blaming the wife. I'm going to be good. All right? She gave us me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all the cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust thou shalt eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam, he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of, the, of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of all of it of the days of thy life, and thorns and also thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Thou shalt return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. A lot of stuff happened just now. But you may say, Pastor, how does that equate to God being good? He just, he just gave a bunch of punishments. How does that equate to God being good? Number one, if you're a note-taking person, God is good enough. God is good because he does not interfere with our choice to do wrong. God is good because he does not interfere with our choice to do wrong. You may say, Pastor, why is that? A, I don't understand. I, why, why would him not interfering with our, with our choices to do wrong make him good? If anything, you hear the question all the time, how can a good God allow X, Y, and Z? How could a good God allow me to go through this? Or how could a good God allow this to happen here? And how could God allow these things? Chapter 3 of Genesis tells us a lot about why things happen. It all boils down to this. There are consequences for your actions. There are consequences for your actions. Has it ever occurred to you? Someone said this to me. They said, hey, why would I want to uh, believe in God? You know, he's, he's trying to save me from a hell. He's dangling me over. Last time I checked, God created hell for the devil and his angels. When we decided to partake in sin, what did it do? It now created a, 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 a corridor for us to go there also. So he's reaching in to save us from ourselves. Why is God good when he allows, um, when he doesn't interfere with our choice to do wrong? It's because it's one simple fact. If God would intervene every single time someone did something wrong, it would no longer be love. Do you understand? It would no longer be love. If God intervened every time you're about to do something bad, God, you may say, well, God, thank you so much because I was about to fall. I was about to backslide. I was about to do X, Y, and Z, and you saved me. Praise God. But now there is no more right and wrong. Do you understand? You cannot understand wrong. You cannot understand right without the concept of wrong. Do you understand? It's the scale that's there that gives you the ability to have a perception of what is and what is not. So if you say that, okay, God says, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and just not allow the people to shoot the places up sometimes. And I'm not going to, I'm going to allow tsunamis to, to wipe out civilizations. And I'm going to allow earthquakes to, to ruin people's homes. I'm going to allow floods to happen. You may say, what kind of good God would allow that stuff to happen? Well, here's the truth. God told them in Genesis chapter 3 that there was going to be consequences for their actions. The serpent was going to have to slither on his belly there all of his life. The woman would have a hard time bearing children. It would be painful. And she would have a power struggle in the home. The husband will work and sweat. You know, why you, you know why you struggle working? Because it's a curse. Work and labor are not the same thing. Work was always there. God gave Adam the responsibility to be a tiller of the ground. He was going to do that regardless. It became hard.
hard after sin. But did you notice something that happened? The serpent got cursed, the man got cursed, the woman got cursed, but what else got cursed? Who knows? The earth. Do you know why there are such tragedies that happen with, with natural disasters? It's because the ground is cursed. The earth is cursed. That's why there's hurricanes, and that's why there's tornadoes, and that's why there's tsunamis, and that's why there are all these other things. And guess what's happening? You are now at a place where we are watching mankind take responsibility for their actions. You're now watching. Think about this. The Bible says that Adam lived to be 933 years old. So for nine centuries, he had to watch the consequences for his actions. He had to watch his firstborn child kill a secondborn child. He had to watch murder happen and rape and incest. And he had to watch natural disasters and people start to lose their lives. All of those being his children, that's a consequence for his actions. Sometimes God will forgive. Not sometimes. God will always forgive a heart that's repentant. But he may not always remove the consequences from you. What happens? If God takes away the ability to do wrong, then there is no right. There just is. And what does that make you? A robot. It makes you a robot. Son, don't plug that fork in the outlet. Son, don't do this. Son, do it. And what happens? Nine times out of ten, they're going to go ahead and do it anyway. Parents, can you testify? They're going to go ahead and do it anyway. So what happens? You tell them once to warn them. But what happens the second time? You let them do it. Right? You let them do it. Right? So you can learn. Don't touch the hot stove because it's going to burn you. But they touch it. And what happens? You learned your lesson, didn't you? Has it ever occurred to you that love is allowing wrong to happen for your good? We may say, why? That's a, people say, I don't understand how a good God could. That's a, that's a very easy answer. Because love is going to let you, give you the ability and the choice to make the choice. Love is going to give you the ability to do what you're supposed to do, and because you want to, because you feel like you're supposed to be led to do that, because you feel like you feel moved within yourself to do it, that's what's going to allow wrong, uh, allow love to be something that, that actually is. If God made us, see, there are angels in the Bible where the Bible says that the angels have been crying, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of his glory for millennia. That's all they do. Holy, 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 all, that's all they do. Right? That's all they do. That's what they're supposed to do. That's what they were created to do. You are not the same. Yes, you were created to love God. You were, you were created to have a relationship with God. You were created to, to bring glory to God. But he is not going to force you to do it. The moment he forces you to love him, it's no longer love. It's obligation. Why is God good? Because he's not going to interfere with, your, with your, your choice to do right or wrong. And consequently, he's not going to interfere with the consequences of your actions. He's not going to do that doesn't make God that doesn't make God bad that makes God just that makes God just he's a good God he's a good God because if he wasn't good he would have just forced you to do all those other things and this is the thing you ever you ever been in a situation where you just can't win you just can't win if God here's here's how here's how humanity works irritating poor God on the on the one side God how could you allow all this bad stuff to happen how could you do it? You're not good. Blah, 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 blah. So God may say, what if God said, okay, well, forget it. I'm going to remove wrong and make everyone do right. Here's the other side. Oh, my gosh, this isn't love. You're forcing me to do it. I don't even have to. You can't win. Did you realize that God is literally, listen to me, the almighty God of the universe put himself in a lose-lose situation for us. Think about stepping out of eternity to die. Imagine that you're out in the street and a gunman walks up and he's about to pull the trigger right on you and take your life and someone jumps in the way and, and takes the bullet for you and they die and you say, well, that's your own fault. No one told you to do that. Doesn't that sound ungrateful? That's exactly how we treat God. God is good. God is good. His, God is good and his mercies, his mercies endure forever. God would not be God. He would not be good if he remove the consequences for our action. It would take away the fact that he's just. It would take away the, the, the spectrum of good and evil. It's important to understand that God is good because he allows or does not interfere with our choice to do right and wrong. Number two, turn to Romans chapter 6. Turn to Romans chapter 6. Why is God good? 
why is God good? I'm going to explain it to you. Give me a minute. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and look at verse 14. It says this. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Number two, God is good because he shows grace despite our faults. God is good because he shows grace despite our faults. Let me rewind it for you. We go back to, we go back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve has just, have just sinned, right? Have just sinned and they blew it for everybody else. Upon men, one man did sin, passed upon all men, so death by sin, right? now is a sinner because of Adam. Sinners by nature because of Adam, right? And so Adam is now in a place where he has to get kicked out of the garden because he can't dwell in a place of holiness, right? But did you realize that right after those things, God starts showing grace immediately? See, we can get so caught up on how bad things are and how bad God allowed things to get, but we don't realize that there are small increments of grace that if you don't pay attention, you'll miss. Did you realize what happened when God realized that they were naked? What did God do right after that? After he gave them their punishment, what did he do? Someone tell me. He made them clothes. He made them clothes. Because they were ashamed that they were naked. Because they felt awkward because they were naked. Because they are reaping the consequences of their sin. God should have said, fine, walk around, be naked, be uncomfortable. That's what you get. No. He made them clothes. He made them clothes. Someone tell me, what kind of clothes? What did he make it out of? You know that, huh? Leaves? What was that, Miss Jackie? Animals. The first time there was a shedding of blood was because he's giving grace to man. Old Testament picture of what was going to come in the future where Jesus Christ was going to have to be slain for our sin. Don't tell me God's not good. Then, then Cain kills Abel, right? Cain, where is thy brother? Am I my brother's keeper? My mom would have. <laughs> Am I my brother's keeper? He said, the voice of your brother's blood cries from the ground. Then he punishes him. He says, what? You're going to be a vagabond. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be someone who's going to be a wanderer. You're going to find no place. And what happens? Cain said, that punishment is too much. It's too much for me to bear. And then what does God do? God says, no man will be able to What's that, grace? It's grace. Grace can be defined as God's riches at Christ's expense. If you, we, we spend so much time thinking about how good God is not, you don't even realize that Jesus Christ was present way before the cross. God, God incorporating a remission of sin and taking care of the problem that we created was taken care of way before we got to the book of Matthew, way before we got to the time that Jesus Christ had to go to the, the road of Calvary. Before Galgotha, way before he cried the, the Garden of Gethsemane and all the sweat went from his brow. All before, way before that happened, God had already instituted a method of restitution, and it did not, it was non-contingent upon you. You can't tell me that God is not good. Because God shows grace all the time. All the time. God, that's not fair. How can I go do through that? God, that's not fair. How that you would go to an all-eternal burning hell. Because he that was sinless had to die for your sin. Your punishment, which is an eternal hell, is just. But thank you for grace. Thank you so much for grace. Where, where he came down. And I want, you to, I want you to think about how intricate this is. All right? This is intricate. All right? God creates a law. Follow that law. You don't follow that law. What will happen? You'll die. Right? You'll die. Six hundred and something laws. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They, they 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 give you the laws. 
I, I, you, can, you, can, you can do these different things. And he starts incorporating small stuff. And then he says, you know what, forget it. Forget the little, forget the little, the little you know, space fillers of, of, uh, of this. Let me go ahead and send the one true lamb to come and die across for your sins. So this is what God has to do, Brother Gary. God has to go through and read through his own contract, his own 600 some odd law contract, and find the loophole in it so that he can set you free from the punishment that he created. So guess what happens? You can't fulfill the punishment of the law. You can't do it. So what does God have to do? He has to step off of his throne in heaven and die for you. Don't tell me God's not good. It's intricate. He creates a law. We break it. He finds a loophole to his own law and then pays the punishment for his own law because you can't do it. Because I can't do it. That's the grace of God. God is good, church. He's good. Grace is one of the most profound concepts of the Bible that I've ever seen. It is so profound because it says that when you do not deserve a prize, when you do not deserve to get off, when you do not deserve to get away with it, I'm going to let you get off. I'm going to let you get away with it. I'm going to provide for those means even though you do not deserve it. So when you sit here this week and you complain that God has done this to you, don't forget that he's been good to you. Hey, when this happens and you can't provide for that thing, remember that God's been good to you. When you can't make your bills this week or whatever you think may happen, then you got to think about, well, that doesn't mean that God's not good to you. That does not mean that God's not good to you. Has it ever occurred to you that you're, in a, that you're in a time of trial? Has it ever occurred to you? The purpose of the fire is not to cleanse, is not to purify. Ah, uh, yes it is. Here we go. The purpose of the fire is not to consume you. It's to purify. It's to purify. Do you know that God has a will for your life? And if you follow that will, it'll turn out how it's supposed to. But here's the truth, and I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. If you're sitting here today, you have made it through 100% of your trials. 100%. Can anyone think back to a time where you thought there was going to be no way I can get out of this? There was no way that it was going to get better? There's no way that this was gonna, I was going to overcome this? You ever been through that? Anyone? I have. Been through that period, and what happened to you, y'all? Brother Greg, what happened in that, in that circumstances? It got better. It does. It's a time of trial. God may not always be early, but he is always on time. God is not, God is not you know, I, I got my watch here. My phone's up there. There's a clock right there. We, you know, you got phones and watches and all kinds of stuff on you. We are so dominated by time. Guess who is not? God. That means it can come down to the last nanosecond before it's due, and he'll provide How can you claim promises you don't know? And my God shall supply your every need. Don't tell me God's not good. Don't tell me God's not good because we've gone through it. If you're anything like me, I'm only 28 years old, but I've been, I've been through it a few times. I've been through it a few times. And, and it, it, it's something that's, that's important for us to realize that just because we're going through it does not mean that God is not good. How would you know to be thankful for the good times if the bad times never existed? Huh? How would you know? How would you know to be grateful for stuff? I forgot who the poet was, and he said that sometimes God withholds at least one thing from us so that we can always need him. Because here's the truth, and I've seen it, and I know that y'all have seen it too, where people who are good don't need God. The worst thing, I'm telling you, the worst thing that God can do for Xavier Small is to give him everything he needs. The worst thing that he can do. The worst thing that he can do was help me to overcome all the struggles that I have as a Christian. The worst thing that he could possibly do was completely free me from all my financial obligations. The worst thing that he can probably do was to help all of our relationships to be fine. And I'm not saying that elements of those things are not good. I'm not saying that God cannot bring you financial breakthrough. I'm not saying that God can't heal your relationships. I'm not saying that God can't overcome. What I am saying is that the moment, you have to ask yourself, who am I? Because the moment that God gives you everything you need, you may not love him anymore. I'm not worried about the person who's praying to God or, or spending time with him in the valley. I'm more worried about the people who are on the mountaintop. Those are the people that scare me. Romans, uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 talk about the church of Laodicea. And Laodicea is one of those churches, one of those, uh, that, that, that time frame, they are, they are wealthy, Brother Woody. They are wealthy, they have a lot going on. And what does God tell them? He says, I write this letter to you because you think that you're rich and you think that you are clothed and you think that 
have it all going on together. But what you don't realize is that you are naked and you are without sight and that you don't have anything at all. And what you don't realize is that you're a lukewarm person. And because you are lukewarm and not hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And the problem that we have as Christians is that we don't think about the fact that good times bring lazy people. Good times bring complacent Christians. You ever realize about, you ever thought about that cycle? Think about it. Oh God, I need you so you're praying. Oh God, I need you so you're reading your Bible. Oh God, I need you so you're in church. But what happens when things get better? Your Bible gets desperate. Your needs, the calories on them go away because you ain't been on them in a while. Your spot where you usually sit in church has now regained its color because you're no longer sitting there. See, the most dangerous person, the most the person's walking the most afraid for is the person who's going through, who's not going through it at all, but they're going, they're going good. I'm trying to remember how the statement goes. It goes, it goes, hard times make strong Christians. Hard times make strong Christians. Strong Christians make easy times. Easy times make Hard times make strong Christians. Strong Christians, or hard times make strong Christians. Strong Christians make better times. Better times create lazy Christians. Lazy Christians create hard times. Repeat. See how that goes? I, love, I, I was talking to you guys about it last week about the person that I, the video compilation of all the people running their races. And they get down to the end, and they'll be sprinting, and they'll get to the end, and they start. Look at verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Number 3. God is good because he chastens us. 
brought chastises us. He said, Pastor, what, a, what about a whooping is good? As you guys know, I'm in grad school. So that's going to mean that a lot of my studies are going to make their way into my sermon. So just go ahead and just get comfortable with those, okay? Good. This week, for the last, I finished my, uh, this was the end of my term, for human growth and development and for ethics and legal counsel. End of those terms. But the last discussion board we had as a class for ethics and legal counseling is, is spanking abuse. Is spanking abuse. And at what point does spanking transcend into abuse, right? And so we had to look at what, I had to look at what the law said for Florida. I had to look at what the, uh, you know, different things. So there were a couple of different things that we had to keep in mind. Number one, Florida law, Florida law states that, uh, that spanking or corporal punishment uh, is allowed until it constitutes as harm. Now you may say, well, duh, if you spank a kid and they cry, that's harm, right? That's usually what you'll say. That's usually what people will say. People who are anti-spanking anti, you know, will say, well, if, you're, if you hit a kid and he cries, well, the, the, the law, the Florida, Florida statutes say that, that abuse and neglect come from two things that I noticed were key words. They said willful harm and malicious intent, right? So here's the, so here's the argument that So guess what he did? He broke one of the sheep's legs. 
broke off the sheep's leg. You're like, that's extreme. Ouch. Injured that leg so he couldn't walk on it. Then he had a little pouch. And he put that little sheep in that pouch. Carried that sheep around with him. Feed it with a bottle. Have some milk. Walk around with it. Pet it. Give it a name. Love on it. And eventually, that leg of that sheep got better. And he put that sheep down. And what happened? That sheep would not leave that shepherd's side. Never again would he wander astray. Why? Because the punishment that he received for always going away was the same thing that caused him to draw closer to the shepherd. Now, here's the truth. That's abuse to that sheep. Well, let me talk to you for a second. Do you realize that sheep are defenseless? Sheep have no survival instincts whatsoever. They can go by real quick, but that's about it. A wolf does not care if you buy it or not. Sheep don't have any survival mechanism. They don't have claws to scratch. They don't have teeth sharp enough to bite and, and cause damage. They don't, they don't, they can't survive against a ravening wolf. Furthermore, sheep have really heavy wool. So they'll may go to the river and try to drink, but they fall into that, that's it. Sheep drop, die in the river because they get so bogged down by their wool, they can't swim. So what happens? The, the shepherd keeps those sheep corralled. Why? To keep them safe. What if I were to tell you, what if I were to tell you that the same confines that you feel are restricting your life are the same things that are setting you free? You ever thought about that? The same confines, the same restrictions that you feel are stopping you from living your life and being free are the same things that have allowed you your freedom to keep you safe. What if I were to tell you that chastening is good and that God is good to chasten. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that how is it that when a father chastens his child, an earthly father chastens his child, he still receives honor and glory. But when I chasten, I do not. And I, aren't, I, aren't I not better than that earthly father? Are you in a time right now where you're being chastened? And if you're in a time right now where you feel you're being chastened, what's your perception of God in it? Kids, I know how it is when you got whooped. You go to your room. How dare she? You know, you're in your room. I don't know how you guys, but I did it. I walked around. I was throwing stuff. I was getting mad. I was stomping around. Don't slam no doors in my house. You know how that is? Don't slam no doors in my house. You know how it is? You're just throwing a tantrum, getting mad. My mom was so mean. How dare she spank me for doing something I wasn't supposed to do? Psalms. David has just finished sinning against uh, Bathsheba. Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, hey, you're the man that has, you know, done this thing and you're going to be punished for it. But we know that what happened. God told David that you're going to lose your child. You're going to lose your child because of what you've done and you're going to pay fourfold for what you've done. You're going to pay for it. And so David is, David grieves. But listen, look at, look at how God is, look at how David Look at how David responds to God during this time of chastising. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in, this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So right there, I'm going to stop for a second. What does David do first off? He takes responsibility for his actions. You notice that? He's being chastised for, for God, for number one, for, for sleeping with a married woman, for having her husband killed, and now he's, his son's going to lose his firstborn child as a punishment. So what does David do? David does 
sorry for what I've done. I know I deserve this punishment. I've done this. But look at this is what he says after this. Verse 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken. What did I just say about that sheep, y'all? The bones that thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, and, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take thy, not thy Holy Spirit from me. Rejoice unto, rejoice, uh, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Right? So he says, Lord, so the first thing he does is he takes responsibility for his actions. Second, what does he do? He says, Lord, give me joy to take this right. Give me, give me the kind of spirit that can take your chastening in a good spirit. Because here's the truth. We get mad at our parents. We get mad at God for punishing us for the stuff that we did that was wrong. So what's he saying? Lord, I want you to go ahead and just, in this time of chastening, help me to have a good spirit about it. Help me to have a good spirit about the spanking that I'm getting. Help me to have a good spirit about what's going on. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Why? Teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise, for thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it, thou delighteth not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, and of, of a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of the righteous, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. So he, he, he confesses his sin, right? He asks for joy during the chastening. And then thirdly, what happens? There is a personal reward that comes from enduring the chastening. He says, hey, not only am I going to be able to praise you and be closer to you, but I'm going to draw others closer to you through what I'm going through. Listen to me, church. If you think the chastening of the Lord is a bad thing, you have a wrong conception of God. Because based on Psalm 51, God chastens to make you better. To make you better. Because here's the truth. How good of a mom would you be if you allowed your child to just do whatever they wanted? Hmm? How good of a mom would you be if you allowed your child to never take a shower? How good of a, of a mom would you be if you never forced your kids to eat the, Bru the Brussels sprouts? How good of a mom would you be if you never corrected your child for acting up in school or for getting bad grades? It's through instruction and correction that people grow and become better. It's through all the time that I got my hands smoked contributed to me being a, 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 a sufficient and, and, and beneficial member, member of society. I'm why? Because I learned to not be wrong, do wrong by people. I learned morals and principles. And God says, hey, I'm trying to teach you these spiritual morals and these spiritual principles so that you can be better. The chastening of God makes him good. Can I hear him? Amen. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. The chastening of God makes him good. Psalm 46. We're already almost, we're already just a couple pages over. Psalm 46. And verse 1, why is God good? Psalm 46, verse 1, why is God good? God is our refuge and a strength and a very present help in trouble. Number 4, God is good because he is a present help. We talked about, you see it, do you see the, I'm not sure if you've seen it so far, but the progression of how things are going in this outline. Number 1, God is good because he does not interfere with our choice to do wrong. Number 2, God is good enough, or God is good because he shows grace despite our faults. Number three, God is good because he chastens us. Number four, God is good because he's a present help. Any parent in here had to discipline your child in any form or fashion? It might have been verbal, physical, taking something away, that ever happened. You had to punish your child. But guess what you find out? 
succumb to being around their mama all the time. They want to be around their mama. You know the truth, church? I'm a mama's boy. I am. I'm a mama's boy. I love my mama. She's so short. I love hugging her. It's great. Love it. Despite all the times I got whooped, despite all the times I got grounded and I lost my Xbox, despite all the times I got in trouble because I brought home a bad grade on my report card or whatever happened, I love my mom to death. I love her. You know why? Because my mom, still to this day, is one of the greatest helps that I have in this world. My mom, if I call my mom today and say, Mom, I'm bankrupt and I'm going to lose my apartment because I can't pay my rent, my mom would bankrupt herself to pay my rent. No one could pay her. She'd do it. Here's the truth. Yeah, God had a law. Yeah, God had consequences for that law. Yeah, there is a payment for sin. Yeah, there is a payment for death. But what does the Bible say? For God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not come into this world to destroy the world, but the world through him might be saved. Despite all the stuff that God does, check this out. No one loves you more than God does. No one will provide for your needs like God does. No one can, no one is in your corner like God is. The Bible says that he is a friend that's thinking closer than a brother. The Bible says that when my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord will take me up. I don't care how close your relationship is with your husband or wife, how close you are with your kids, how close you are with your family members, no one will be a present help for you better than God. I said camels. <laughs> God owns the, owns the cattle on a, on a thousand hills. There is no one in this world that has the resources that God has. Brother Venice was praying earlier this morning, earlier today, and he said, What? He said, Lord, I want you to look down on us and open the windows of heaven and just pour out on us. Who is the richest man right now in the world? Is this the guy that runs Amazon? Is that who it is? I think he's like the richest man in the world right now. He's not richer than God. How about this? That man, he is only a steward of what God has given him. You can't, it's a cliche, but it's true. You can't outgive God. You cannot outgive God. Everything that you have today is by grace. Everything you have today is by grace. And God is a very present help in a time of trouble. Listen to me. I'm not telling you not to. I know I said before that people seem to only run to God when, when times are bad. I'm not telling you to not go to him when times are bad. The only person that can really help you is God. He's the only person that really can. Listen to me. I'm getting ready to be a licensed mental health counselor. I want to get those certifications, and then after that, I'm going to go on and get my certification in, in marriage and family therapy. I want to get all those other things done. But as much as I'll be able to help people with depression and anxiety, as much as I'll be able to help people with anger or personal problems, as much as I will be able to help save marriages or these different things, nobody can help those people like God can. No one can help those people like God can. No one can help me like God can. No one can help you like God can. And if you haven't looked around at your life and seen that God has been present in your life, then you're missing something. I heard someone say this. I believe God is real. I just don't believe he's active. I said baloney. There's no way. There's no way. Because here's the truth, church. I want to challenge you to do this. If you look every single day in your life, you'll find God. You'll find God in every day if you look for it. If you look for it. What's your perspective like? Too many of y'all are glass half empty kind of people. I'm not saying that pessimism sometimes isn't necessary. But here's the truth. I almost preached a message to you today called Remedy Call Hope, but God wanted me to bring this. If you do not look at your life like it's a glass half full, that space that's left is going to be not usable for you. You understand? If you think about the life like my glass is half empty, then you don't, you're not thinking, okay, build it back up. You're not thinking, pour more water. You're not thinking,
God is a very present help. Are y'all still with me, church? Did I lose you? You still here? I'm trying to think if I should stop. I got three more points. What y'all want to do? You want me to stop or you want me to keep going? All right. You heard the words of the people. Here we go. We're almost done. I'll try to be, I'll try to be quick. Uh, John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Sorry I'm speaking so fast. I get excited. I'm going to try to slow down. Let me slow down. I usually get lectured by somebody once a service for speaking too fast. And I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for it. It's a reminder that I need to, I need to keep down. John chapter 16. Look at verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you, but I depart. I will send him unto you. Number five, God is good because he sent the comforter. God is good because he sent the comforter. Let me give you some backstory. Jesus Christ just got done telling his disciples that he's going to go to the cross. He's going to die. He's going away. And they said, God, no. Jesus, don't leave us. Don't do it. Don't, 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 don't. Don't leave. That was my niece yesterday. Her mom and, uh, her mom and, my, and my sister-in-law went to Tampa for the day yesterday. My little niece, Aaliyah, she was just clinging to her mom. She was like, mom, no, don't go. Don't go. Don't go. We're so sad. We're super cute. But I was like, no, don't go. Don't I saw a video one time on, uh, on YouTube, and there was a little girl. Uh, it was a little girl. She had to be about two or three, and her mom was leaving, and she's going, Mom, don't leave me. Mom, I love you. Don't leave me. And she's like, I got to go to work, baby. I got to go to work. Don't leave me. Got to go to work. Okay. And it was one of the, I was like, I'll stay home with you forever. I, don't, we, I, I, won't, I won't do it. I, won't. I can't have no daughter, y'all. I need you to, I need y'all to pray. I need y'all to pray that we have a son whenever that time comes because that's the only way I'm going to be objective. That's the only way. Because she's going to look at me with some eyes. She has my wife's eyes and says, over me. Daddy, oh, fine. Fine. I'm going to have, it's not fair, but Kalea might have to be the disciplinarian. I'm not sure. She's, she's good at just keeping it right out the middle, but me, I'm like, okay, you can have cookies for brothers. You know, that's going to that's gonna be me. I can tell. What was I talking Christ tells them, he says, I got to go. I got to go. But here's the blessing of the comforter. Whereas Jesus Christ in his physical form can only be in one place at a time, the Bible lets us know that once you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit becomes indwelt within you. Ephesians 4, 13, grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. What does that mean? Is that if you're in this room, I'm going to close my eyes. If you say today, let me hear you say amen. amen. If you know the Lord is your Savior, let me hear you say amen. amen. Everyone that said amen just now, if you have a firm knowledge that the Lord is your personal Lord and Savior, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Which means when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you, he meant it. When he says, Lo, I am with you all the way into the end of the world, he meant it. On the flip side, it's not all good. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the good and sure your sin will find you out. God, God ain't no fool. It's like when your child you said don't eat them cookies until after dinner's over and you see your child just got crumbs over her face. Did you eat the cookies? No. But the, the evidence is all there. You can't trick mama. You can't trick God. You can trick me. You can trick your spouse. You can trick your kids. You can trick your co-workers and your boss. Not tricking God. But the comforter is there for a reason. To have someone that literally walks. I should have I should have I should have showed the skit, Sarah. I should have showed the skit that we did for the kids' conference last week. Yeah, I should have shown that would have been perfect. Maybe I'll show it, maybe I'll show it next week. It's fun. Um but the comforter, he's there to walk with you through this life. And if we talk, we sing that song on the Lily of the Valley, but the Lily of the Valley walks valley with us. Do you realize that you are never really alone? You may feel physically alone, like there's no community around you. Shoot, you may be in a room full of people and still feel alone, but let me tell you who is always there, no matter what. God is. That comforter. 
who there, that's the, that's the one where the Bible says, you know, be careful for nothing. But in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's the comforter that brings you that peace. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. It's, God who gives, it's, the, Holy, it's the comforter who gives you the power and the love and the sound mind. That spirit. Have you tapped into that spirit, church? God is good because he sent us a buddy to walk through this life with us so that no matter if no one is physically standing with us, you are never alone. You are never alone. In the last week of my ethics and legal counseling, no, sorry, not that, human growth and development, we talked about the oldest age group, all right, the oldest age group on Eric Erickson's theory of human development. And that is the people who are in ages uh, 65 and up. 65 and up. So we spent learning about the psychology of that age group. That was the last group that we looked at. The final, the final group of life. And one of the biggest struggles that we find out happens with that age group is isolation. One of the things that I love so much, I love listening to Miss Cecile and Miss Terrell and Miss Hunt and Miss Ruby, and Miss Bean. I love seeing all of them get together and talk about the times of old. I love hearing them sit down and talk about when so-and-so was here and they did such and such and this was that and back apparently Miss Ruby used to play the piano and all kinds of different stuff. I, uh, they go back, right, because these are friends that they have gathered. They call them social convoys that they, that they take with them all the way throughout, that they take with them throughout their lives. And one of the biggest struggles that they face in that part of their life is that to keep it frank, a lot of times that your friends start to die off. And things start to happen. People start getting sick. You can't really hang out with them anymore. Maybe you're the one that's getting sick. And you start to near that other end of the spectrum that's terrifying. And one of the biggest struggles, and they, they, they made it, there's a, a research study that shows that people who live in isolation have worse health and have a, ch a higher chance of expediting their death. Right? Because, believe it or not, your emotional feelings have physical manifestations, right? So that's why you can have a physical, an emotional broken heart and still have a, and have a physical one also. And so what am I trying to say? Is one of the things that they talked about was one of the biggest conduits to a healthy person in that age group is their religious activity. And being able to have a community that walks with them and, the, and people who believe like they believe and people who understand where they are, people who are in their age group that are also in their religious circle have a higher ability to be healthy and happy. But here's the truth. You don't have to wait until you get to the integrity versus despair level of your life to, dis to battle your isolation. Because the truth is that the isolation is something that, that transcends all age groups. But even though I may not be physically here, or Mary, or Jesse, or Miss Ramona. Hey, Miss Ramona, I've been praying for you this week. One of the things that you had to realize is that no matter who is gone, God being there. And if you can get that wrapped around your mind and around your heart, you'll find that even in physical isolation, you can still have joy. You can still have peace. You can still have understanding. Why? Because that comforter, that friend that sticks closer than a brother is there with you. Now, nobody in this church should be feeling alone because this is some of the most friendly people that I've ever met in my life. So if you're feeling alone, y'all need to get together and fix that. Amen? Y'all ain't say amen, so I'm scared. Number six. Number six. Matthew chapter 18. We're almost done. We got two points to go and then we're finished. Number five was that God is good because he sent us the comforter. So number one, God is good because um, he does not interfere with our choice to do wrong. Number two, God is good because he shows grace despite our faults. Number three, God is good because he chastises us. Number four, God is good because he is a present help. Number five, God is good because he sent us the comforter. Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to hurry through these last two points. Matthew chapter 18. Look at verse 21. 
It says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother? Shall Okay, let me try again. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? And Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Number seven, why is God good? Because he's a God. Number six, sorry. God is good because he's a God of second chances. He's a God of second chances. Here's the truth. I'm not worth eternity. I'm not worth God's grace and his mercy. The first time that I trespassed against God could have been it for me. But God in his goodness and his grace gives us second chances. God is a God of restoration. See, here's an ability that God has that we don't have. Here's the truth. Sometimes you may forgive someone, but you can't forget. Anyone ever been there? You forgive someone, but even looking at them makes you upset. So sometimes the only way for you to forgive someone fully is for you to dismiss them from your company. You know what I'm saying? You may not be able to forgive and restore. Sometimes people do small things that trespass against you, and you're like, it's okay, I still love you, and you can move on. Sometimes there are things that are done to you that are past of no regret. And you forgive them because you don't want to carry the bitterness and the weight of it. It's mostly for you than it is for them. But that's as far as it goes. If you have no friendship, if you have no relationship, I forgive you, but that's as far as it goes. I can't restore it. Would you know that every time that God forgives you, he restores you back to the place as if you have never trespassed in the first place? That is an incredible power. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness every single time. Wow. You know how many times I've messed up? A lot. A lot. But if you are someone who sincerely, the word repent does not just mean to be sorry. The word repent means to be going in one direction, stop, about face, and go back the other way. It's a complete change of mind. It's a 180. God says someone who is truly repentant and is willing to confess and take responsibility like David did, I'll forgive him every time. I'll forgive him every time. I'm so glad that God is the God of second chances, aren't you? God is good. God is good. He's the God of second chances. And lastly, well, Malachi chapter 3, 6, you don't, have to, you don't have to turn there, I'll just give it to you. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says, I am the Lord, I change not. Number 7, God is good because he stays the same. God is good because he stays the same. You know that people are fickle? People are fickle. Here's the truth. Do not trust your emotions. You're going to get mad, you're going to get sad, you're going to get angry, you're going to get depressed, you're going to get bitter, you're going to have all those different things. You cannot trust your emotions. Emotions are fickle. You got to make sure that you don't, those things don't try to skew you from where you're at. But do you know that even though Jesus Christ experienced anger and grief and sadness, he never changed his spiritual disposition? What does that mean? Is that he had the uncanny ability to stay the same. Jesus, yesterday, Jesus the same, yesterday, today, forever. Which means that the Bible says, if I'm alone, I change not. If he has saved your soul, you are saved forever. Loves you today. God has the love that nobody else can match, but we try. Is that agape love, that unchanging, immutable, unwavering love? God can do that. It never changes. His relationship with you never changes. Friends may come and go. Your social convoys may get off the, off the trail, but God never leaves. He stays the same. And lastly, number eight, God is good simply because He sent His Son to die for our sins. He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. Here's the truth. First John, John chapter 5, verse 13 says, These things have I written unto you, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. He says, You want to be saved? You can have it. You can have it. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation is yours today. Hey, I don't know about you guys, but even though that was only what? Seven, eight quick reasons why God was good. There are so many more. I challenge you to study it. 
I'll challenge you to get your Bible, get on the internet, do what you can, and just find out as many verses about God being good, reasons why he's good as you can. You will be shocked. I hope that today you may have walked in here saying, man, God's not good to me. And I don't know what I've done for him to not be good to me. But I hope that you'll walk out today with a different temperature and see that you've got a lot more good than you thought. Let's pray.